Thanks, Mike. Well, good evening, everyone. Merry Christmas Eve. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And let's pray, because we need God's help. And uh, if you agree with what it is that we're asking God to help us with, you can say amen at the end, which is an affirmation that this is true, and we want God to help us in this way. Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this evening. We do pray that now, as we come to your word, you'd give us attentive ears and open hearts to see the light of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, December 2006, teenage James was brimming with joy, and there was a buzz in the Chen household. For unto us a gift had been given, unto us a wish had been fulfilled, for that was the Christmas when I received the gift of the Nintendo Wii. (laughs) Newly released, having waited months for this, this is what I wanted. Perhaps you remember the joy of receiving a present that you desperately wanted, something you were looking forward to, and the joy you felt when you finally did. And for many of us, the joy of Christmas is in the receiving of gifts. For others of us, though, uh, it might be something different. For others, it might be in the Christmas parties and the food, with the family and the friends, perhaps with the workmates, gathering as a Christmas tradition, going out at the end of the year. Or perhaps for others, it's something else entirely. Maybe it's in finishing work for the Christmas shutdown. Maybe, possibly, hopefully, getting away for a few weeks. The joy of Christmas can come from many sources, can't it? And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, Christmas can also be exhausting, all-consuming. The pressure of figuring out what to buy the person that you're a secret Santa for, especially when you really don't know much about that colleague. Uh, The burden of needing to cater for dozens of people, enduring the Christmas shoppers, then needing to cook and prepare it all, and also make the home look presentable. The anxiety, perhaps, of wondering if the family dynamics of uh, who's there and who isn't will be better this year than last year. Indeed, while there's joy that can come from Christmas, Christmas can fill many of us with exhaustion, fatigue, even shock as we can't believe that yet another year has come to an end. As we look back on our year and wonder how much we've accomplished, or not. How another year of blah. After 365 days, how much have I moved? How much have I progressed? Maybe. Not at all. Tonight, I want to spend some time considering where the joy of Christmas is really found. Because God knows we could all do with some joy, some real joy. And to do that, we're going to examine what happened that first Christmas, as recorded for us in this passage of Luke, chapter 2, recorded for us as a historical document. And you'll find a copy of this passage in your outlines. If you're not used to reading Bible passages, generally we have big big bold numbers called chapter numbers. This is from Luke chapter 2. And the smaller numbers we see are what we call verse numbers. And so let's come into this passage. The first verse starts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. 
in the land of Israel, in the ancient Near East, the Romans were occupying the land. 60 years before this, in 63 BC, the Romans had systematically conquered regions and added them to the Roman Empire, including Israel. And here, around 4 BC, we see in verse 1 that Emperor Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. In verse 2, we see that this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The second one took place 11 years later, in 7 AD. And so a man named Joseph went from Nazareth in the north to the town of Bethlehem in the south with his fiancée, Mary. And there she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, a son named Jesus. And he was wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger. But as wonderful as the birth of a baby is, this isn't the sole source of joy of Christmas. Rather, it's who the baby is, who this person is that we need to look at. And it's revealed for us in verses 8 to 15. Because this night, this baby was born, there were shepherds out in the field, as verse 8 says. And then in verse 9, an angel of the Lord, of God, appeared to them. Now imagine being in, a, in the dark, pitch black, right? You've got your night vision going, and all of a sudden, a blindingly bright light comes and pierces through the night, surrounding a strange-looking figure. How would you feel? Well, the shepherds felt terrified, shocked. We see that in verse 9, don't we? But as shocked as they were, the words that came next would have been even more so. From verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We learn so many things about this baby packed into these verses, but I want to focus in on two. Two things we learn about this person, Jesus. Firstly, he's a Savior. He's a Savior because this world needs saving. And the one true living God's plan to save the world isn't a military or a technological development. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, this might surprise some of us to learn this, but the weeks leading up to Christmas, historically known as Advent, are intended to be a time of reflection, reflecting deeply on the shortcomings of the world and longing for change of taking seriously what life is like and what living is like, not putting on a face and pretending like everything's okay. That might be news for some of us when we think about how we've been every Christmas of our lives. Because the truth is our world is not perfect. Our world is hurting. Our world and our lives are constantly beset with things that cause us pain, of people wronging one another, of death and decay besetting and befalling our bodies, of disasters upsetting our plans and purposes. Now, Christmas is meant to be a time of reflecting on the shortcomings of our world, of how this is not how it's meant to be, of how we are victims of evils of our world, evils that we need to be saved from. And yet, Jesus didn't just come to save us from the presence and pain of evil in our world. He also came up, uh, to save us from the practice and penalty of evil in our world. Because the truth is that the world is the way it is because of how we have rejected God, how we have ignored Him, 
how we've sought to disconnect ourselves from the source of all things that are good, the one who knows how the world works best. Each of us are individually responsible for being perpetrators of evil, of doing things that don't align with God's plans and purposes for the world. And as a result, God will one day judge us for our acts of rebellion and ignorance, living for ourselves rather than living for the one who made us. Every single person in this room stands under the judgment of God and needs to be saved. Yes, from the presence and pain of evil in the world, we are victims, but also from the practice and penalty of evil in our world, we are perpetrators. Victims and perpetrators. This is not how things are meant to be, and we are part of the problem. There's a story that says that a newspaper a number of years ago posed the question, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton reportedly wrote a brief letter in response. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Which is why it's such good news that this person, this Jesus, is a savior. That's the first thing I want to focus on. Secondly, Jesus is God himself. If you take a look back at the passage, do you notice in verse 11 that he's called the Lord? Jesus is called the Lord. But if you look back at verse 9, the angel that appears is called the angel of the Lord, referring to God. And the glory that shines is of the Lord, referring to God. If you skip on down to verse 15, the shepherds say to one another that they need to go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Referring to how the angel in verse 9 was sent by God. This title of the Lord was given to God. It was God's title. And here in verse 11, it's given to Jesus. Because this baby, this person, this little infant is God himself. That's the glory of Christmas. Knowing that, that God became human, that God took on flesh, the incarnate deity, pleased as man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Rich in glory in heaven, yet he humbled himself and came near as a pooping, crying, vulnerable baby. And would grow up one day, 33 years later, to die on a Roman cross, bearing the penalty for our evil so that we wouldn't have to, to save us from the penalty and the practice and the presence and the pain of evil forever and who would be raised from the dead, never to die again, as the risen King, Lord forever, ruling the world with truth and grace, and who after that returned to heaven, where he is right now in the 21st century. Jesus has an age. Jesus is slightly over 2,021 years old. Did you know that? And Jesus promises that one day he will return return to finish this salvation from the pain and the presence and the penalty and the practice of evil forever. To remove it from our world once and for all because we still see it here and now. The work is not finished. He will return to provide relief and rest and refreshment for his people, for those who acknowledge who he is as the risen king and become one of his people. And so... The birth of Jesus is also the promise that these things that are exhausting us won't last forever. They won't. 
God has come, and God will come back, come back to make things right. A Christian pastor named Sam Aubrey tweeted the following on the 8th of December. Come, all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, and for the broken. If your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. Friends, this Christmas, look back to that night divine when Christ was born and know that it's okay to feel tired, to know that this year has not gone to plan, and yet you're not where you'd like to be. Look back on that night and be real and know you don't need to put on a face and pretend. You don't need to do that because there are many shortcomings of our world. Things are not as they need to be. Things are not as they are meant to be. That's what Christmas is actually about, recognizing that we can look back, but then we can look forward and anticipate. Look forward and feel excited by knowing that this won't be the case forever. There will be a day when no more will sins and sorrows grow. There will be a day when man no more will die. There will be a day that we look forward to and so we can embrace the thrill of hope because the best is yet to come. For those who adore Jesus Christ, who acknowledge him as Lord, who praise his name forever, the best is yet to come. Peace from the Prince of Peace. God came to earth once before at that first Christmas. He will come again and make it all right. And for that, we rejoice amidst our weariness in a person, not ultimately in a present or a gathering or a holiday getaway that we may or may not be able to get to now because bookings are awful. Though these are good things, Jesus, born that first Christmas, Savior, God himself, this is where the joy of Christmas is found. The joy of Christmas is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. How wonderful is that? We need to sing.